I think there's a lot of growth that comes in, like learning the local language, befriending local people, learning local recipes, traditional recipes, and uh, living a different way. Welcome to my podcast, Keep It Spicy. My name is Shuba, and I will be your host for today's episode. Interested in hearing about love, life, travel, and career? I will be exploring all those topics and more. If you want to tag along for something fun, entertaining, exciting, and of course, spicy, hit that follow button so you can stay up to date with more episodes. Now, let's get into it. This is Keep It Spicy. Today's guest is Maya Guerrero. Maya is a multilingual corporate communicator with a passion for expressing content in a way that is simple yet compelling. Maya began to follow her passion for communications when she moved to France back in 2012. She spent two years in Paris as a communications assistant and manager, which allowed her to build on her leadership skills, languages, and follow her career ambitions in the field that she loves. An avid traveler, foodie, and lover of language, Maya Guerrero is a proud Dominican-Canadian who has lived in five countries, speaks three and a half languages, has eaten 16,000 different varieties of cheese, and whose spirit animal is Anita Eckbird's kitten in La Dolce Vida. Okay, so thank you, Maya, for joining me today. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Thanks for coming on Keep It Spicy today. Thanks for having me, Shuba. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm going to start by asking you to tell me and our listeners like a little bit about yourself, like what's your story, what have you been up to lately, you know, personally or professionally, whichever one you want to share. Basically, what's the spice to your life? Oh my gosh, great question. The spice to my life. So recently, um, (laughs) I got to say like my life is, you know, like everybody else's during the pandemic at home and you know, literal spices. So I've been playing a lot with different recipes. I was into kombucha brewing for a while, um, trying different workouts. And generally I am doing that kind of thing, but because of all the time I have in my hands, I have, yeah, a lot more. And uh, I just came back also from Spain. So that was a pretty big um, (laughs) transition, you know, coming from, life in Madrid, um, the hustle and bustle of that to my Toronto apartment <laughs> and quietness. So yeah, I love it. To that. I love it. And I, can you tell me something about yourself or, you know, tell our listeners something about yourself that people might actually be surprised to learn, like something that we may not necessarily be able to like search up about you on LinkedIn or something? So randomly, I lived in Madagascar for three months of my life. <laughs> And I think that's that's a pretty random one because I, I don't know, I talk to people and I, especially people that have traveled a lot and nobody seems to go there. Like it's not necessarily, you know, a destination that people go to. So it's very rare. And on occasion, I do meet someone that's either from Madagascar 
um, and has had that experience. Um, so yeah, that's always, it's always nice to find because I, I think that's something rare and different. Okay, no, I love that. I actually do love your story about Madagascar because that's like how we, I don't know if you remember, but like when we met, you had told me because I mentioned that I grew up in Nigeria and you were like, oh, I lived in Madagascar in, oh, right. <laughs> in Antananarivo or like I'm pretty yeah. sure I butchered the, the capital. But yeah. no, you actually great pronunciation. Most people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So I also wanted to talk to you about your career in corporate communications. And of course, like you mentioned, like I do want to know a little bit more about your travel adventures. And you've lived in countries like France, Canada, obviously, you mentioned Madagascar, Spain, um, you've been to Italy. So like, I want to start by like learning a bit more about these like expeditions. So could you tell me the little stories behind your move to Madagascar? like your move to France when you went there um, through Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. And then of course, like, tell me a little bit more about this most recent move you made to Spain. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I can start a little um, way back. Like, as I mentioned, I was born in the Dominican Republic and then my family moved to Washington DC actually. So before we immigrated to Canada, I did junior kindergarten in, in the DC area. Um, and then my mom decided to move up to Canada to Toronto for different personal family reasons and we ended up here so it was her my brother and I um, and then I did yeah grade one up until like all of my schooling here um, but it was funny because when I got here I was actually in ESL um, I went to university um, Glendon the French campus the York University French campus and you know I I always loved the language, the French language and the French culture. I did extended French um, from when I was in grade seven. So I'm not sure if you know Shuba, but here in Ontario, at least you have the option of doing French extended, which is geography and history in French, as well as an advanced French class. Um, oh, so wow. I never did like, yeah, so I never did like the normal geo and history classes. Um, and then I selected my high school because of that too. Uh, Riverdale because they had an extended French program and then you know that also influenced my decision to 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 go to Glendon um, and so I always said you know after university I really want to move to France like I didn't necessarily know what I would be doing there how I would get there um, how it would all work out you know I was prepared to wait tables I was prepared to work at a cafe just to do anything you know to to finally be in the place where I could practice and perfect my French. Um, so yeah, uh, that decision and, you know, thinking about that all throughout my undergrad led me to finding out about Isaac. The world was so divided and separated. So they started a long, long time ago. Um, and yeah, they're still, they're still up and running. It's affiliated with many um, different universities. And anyway, yeah, I was part of the Glendon chapter and I found this great opportunity in Paris of all places. So my dream was, you know, coming true. And, and um, you know, it wasn't all easy. Like even getting that job, I remember in order to basically to participate in an Isaac internship in France, you had to maintain um, university student status. So I was in my last year of university and about to graduate and basically being offered this internship in Paris um, in internal communications. 
And, but they said, you know, if I graduate, then I wouldn't have that student status. So I actually ended up pushing my graduation another year <laughs> so that I could go and do it. Um, and then, of course, when I got there, you know, living in a completely different continent, a completely different country also came with its challenges, but so much fun. It was an incredible year in Paris and, and probably one of the best, uh, one of the best years of my life. Oh, I love that. I love you hearing you say that like your dreams came true. And this is something that I've told Maya as well, but I'll just tell our listeners like Maya is that person who like, before you moved to Spain, I w- met you and you were like, Oh, I want to move to Spain. I want to leave Toronto and move to Spain. And then I was like, okay. And then six months later, I see on your Instagram story, Hey, everybody, I'm moving to Spain. Like, it's such a, it's such a nice feeling to be like, wow, like, people's dreams do come true. Like the things yeah. that you want to happen do come true. So it's such a sweet story. Yeah. I mean, as long as you know what you want and you're willing to work for what you want and you have kind of that clear vision of what exactly it is and how, like just being as precise as possible, then on, it, it, you just, it does come true because you're, you're, you know, you're working for it. You're making it happen. So yeah. Thanks. And- <laughs> Speaking of like Madagascar, since it is like a country that I'm pretty sure like nobody has really heard about it, even though there's like the movie, but I feel like people don't really register that Madagascar is like an actual country where people lives and not just like giraffes and lions and stuff that you see in the movies and there uh, aren't like even the giraffes and lions those <laughs> those animals don't even exist in Madagascar. Can I ask you, is there something that you'd wished? you'd done before you left home to like Madagascar like a place that like not many people think to go imagine going from gorgeous Paris like beautiful Paris where you know they have like beautifully adorned bridges doors like decoration it's just immaculate to you know Antananarivo where there are children on the street dogs on the street garbage everywhere um I it was a shock for me um when I landed in like that very night at that airport I remember like it was just full of people and it was loud and messy and <laughs> I was I I didn't know if I was gonna make it Shuba I gave myself a week I said okay um I'm gonna give myself a week and if I don't feel comfortable and I feel like I can't do it I'm just gonna go home to Canada because um this is difficult this is different you know even though I was grew up you know early life in the Dominican Republic Madagascar was just a completely different experience so I gave myself the week and by the end of it I thought you know what if I can get through this I can get through anything in life um because I wasn't living in Antananarivo actually I was living in an even more remote village in the middle of Madagascar and as you know it's a very big island and it was a place called Ambushit that's how they pronounce it um and you know the closest beach was like a nine hour plus taxi bruce ride which is like this like cramped minibus (laughs) with a broken speaker and it's just hot and whatever anyway i decided if i can get through this i can get through anything um so i stuck it out i stuck it out and i found things to do i actually had an english teaching radio show with some british people there i ended up volunteering for a nonprofit that helped um uh, rural schools get school supplies So I would 
bring supplies to schools in, in, in the area and yeah, it was it was very rural and it was very challenging. You know, I I used to take a shower in a bucket, so it wasn't even a shower. Like I remember having to like warm up this bucket of water with this like um like water I don't even know what you call them, but they just warm up water. It's kind of like a metal rod, kind of dangerous looking back now. But yeah, it was it was tough, and the food I I I couldn't get used to the food. Um, you know, but within all of that, within all that just hard and like toughness and also just like being surrounded by the reality of how these people live. And, you know, I just, I really grew and thought I need to stick this out because there are people living like this all the time and this is their life. So I, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to try and do the best I can to to help these people out, you know, with the time that I have here. And be, I befriended many locals. And yeah, it was, it was an experience. <laughs> Sounds like some, some character development happened. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was. And I really... Yeah, if you're like early in your career, if you can have an experience like that, like especially if you grew up in a kind of more privileged and comfortable society and place, definitely it's, yeah, I think it's worth having and, you know, it's going to be hard, but it's, yeah, it's something that I bring with me everywhere I go now. And ever since that experience, you know, I can be in another uncomfortable situation, but like I was like, you know, if I got through Madagascar, <laughs> I can get through this. I always compare it. And I always tell my family and friends, I'm going to bring you there with me one day so that you know <laughs> what I went through. <laughs> and in all that, of course, there were good times. Like, I know I always talk about kind of like how hard it was because it, it really, really was for me. Um, but, you know, it was also, I remember I was seeing the most um, incredible things at the same time, you know, those beautiful baobabs, a beautiful nature, full of lemurs, um, rainforests, the Indian Ocean was incredible. So yeah, it's a great trip. Three months, I was there for three months. Very, some holistic development happened there, some eye-opening experiences, <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Love yeah. this. And then could you tell us a little bit more about your most recent trip to Spain, which you did take solo also? Yeah, I took that trip solo. So I was about to turn, I was turning 30. I was 29, working for an investment bank here in Toronto. Um, you know, pretty comfortable job, pretty comfortable life. Like, you know, things were okay. Things were great. <laughs> but I thought, you know what, if I turn 30 and I just end up staying here, um, I'm not, I feel like I'll end up regretting it. So I thought, let's just, let's just, you know, do the Europe thing one more time. And I, I had already lived in France and I speak Spanish. So I thought, you know, what makes sense is Spain. And I visited Spain when I was living in France. And I, I visited Barcelona and Mallorca. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the country itself and the people and the food and the nightlife. So I decided to move to Madrid, um, even though I had never been to Madrid. But I thought I would have more luck um, in my job search because it's, um, you know, the business capital of, of the, the capital of the country, right? So, um yeah, I moved to Madrid and 
it was incredible. It was another great year of my life. I met amazing people, had some incredible um, experiences, had the best food, traveled a lot. Um, I lived like a 20 minute subway ride to the airport. Um, and, you know, especially now I can see like how amazing it all was because I'm just at home. And like <laughs> in Madrid, I was used to like hopping on an airplane every two or three weeks. <laughs> so just a different life. But yeah, um, yeah, Madrid was great. I ended up going there through a program called Beta, which is an English teaching um, language program, culture exchange program available to Canadians and Americans. And the only requirement was to have a university degree. Okay. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, native English, um, they required that as well. Um, and it was, it was quite the difference, you know, going from my investment firm here in Toronto to teaching English um, outside Madrid and, and being in a classroom full of children, 30 children at once was quite the difference. And I had never taught before, you know, um, the only other English experience I had was in Madagascar teaching on the radio, but it wasn't the same the same thing, um, you know, when you have to be in a in a classroom full of like high school teenage boys and, and girls and they're super loud, especially <laughs> in Spain, they tend to be a little louder. Um, yeah, but again, I met amazing people. I met other teachers, you know, on a similar journey, um, on a similar path that I was on. So that made it all worth it. I ended up going through International Experience Canada also which I'm not sure if you've heard of, have you heard of IEC, Shuba? No, I've never heard no, of No, IEC. So it's a government program that actually lets you travel um, um, as a Canadian citizen to many different countries from age 18 to 35. So it expires at 35. After 35, you can't do it. Um, so I was also taking advantage of that program, right? So I had that in mind. Um, so they have different visa categories. And I went under a predetermined contract, which basically means you're going there with a contract. And then I was able to go to Spain a second year, and then um, through a different category. So these programs do exist, and a lot of people don't know about them. Um, the only thing you have to be careful of is the age requirement. So it's 18 to 35, but some countries expire at 30. So for example, London, England, uh, it's only 18 to 30. Australia is 18 to 30. If you wanna to move to Hong Kong, it's 30. But luckily France and Spain are 35. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Take notes, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're moving to a new country, you're going to Spain, you're like, okay, I'm going to leave everything and travel. And like, if I'm not mistaken, you went there without the goal of returning right away, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wanted to go for at least two years because the year just goes by so fast. Like, I feel like a year is not enough. You need to give yourself at least two years if you want the full experience. Because the first year you're figuring it all out. You're like, all right, I need to find an apartment. I need to find friends. I need to find like a gym or whatever it is that's important to you, right? You're settling, you're settling in, you're kind of figuring it all out. And then the second year, that's when you really start to enjoy things because you have your established group of friends. Hopefully, you know, you've got your routine. Um, so I was going in for that second year 
And then of course, 2020 being everything <laughs> that it has been, um, I was I was actually getting ready to move from Madrid to Barcelona. And then the day that I arrived in Barcelona was the the day right before lockdown. So the next day, it was already too late. I landed in Barcelona. The next day, they, they announced lockdown. Um, and I had to stay in the house. You know, lucky for me, I was with uh, some close friends from Canada. Actually, they, they used to be my neighbors here in Toronto. And they also made the move to Barcelona. Um, and they're still there. They've been there for a couple, a few years now. They have a great penthouse apartment overlooking the mountains and the ocean. Um, they're a great place. Anyway, I stayed there with them for a little while until it became a little too difficult to be far away from family in this time. Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah, no, that does. Yeah. Mike Bohr, or basically where I was going at, it's like, so when you do this type of move where you're like, okay, I'm going to go for a couple of years, what do you do with your stuff back home? Like, how do you, what do you, <laughs> what do, you do with the, the, the rest? Of, so what do you do with your stuff? Like, I, I have a very patient mom <laughs> and very understanding mom that just, you know, she is the best. She is the most supportive person. Um, she never once, you know, said no to me. And it's true. She was always very supportive. She always trusted me. Like when I was like, mom, I'm going to move to Paris. She's like, all right, all right. And she comes to visit too. So that we've had the best trips of our lives, like mother daughter trips, because when I go, she, she always comes um, to visit. And, and most recently in Spain, she actually came and we walked the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage, the way of St. James, uh, which is a very long pilgrimage. It's like, it's like five to six weeks long, but we only did about a week of it. But that was like a week of walking every day. Um, and anyway, yeah, it practically, um, you got to have someone that's willing to like store your stuff for family or, or I guess you could always pay for storage if you don't have that. Or, you know, you can embrace the minimalist lifestyle where you just don't own much. So it kind of depends. I'm definitely not a minimalist. <laughs> I'm working on it. I would love to be a minimalist, um, but I just, I love fashion. So one of my weaknesses <laughs> is I, I shop, shop, shop. And I always shop, like shopped so much in Paris. I shopped so much in Spain, especially because, they, you know, Spain is like the home of Zara and um, Massimo Dutti and all these places. So yeah, I, came back with a lot of stuff. I, I definitely paid more than $500 in excess baggage fees when I came home. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. All worth it. Just all, all, all the, the price of being fabulous. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I'm, that's one of my goals right now during the pandemic. It's, you know, how to, to live downsize. like a minimalist and yeah, but not only like downsize because you can get, because I get rid of a lot of stuff. That's the problem. The problem is I get rid of it all. But then I just buy it. I buy it all back. Right. So <laughs> it's not like I'm attached to things like it's easy for me to like donate, but then I just buy everything. back. <laughs> so it's kind of like deeper kind of inner work. Right. <laughs> that needs to so, be done. Some more souls. You need to go back to <laughs> Madagascar and do some more. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe Costa Rica. Oh, that'd be nice. So speaking of like buying and all of that, if I were in your place and I wanted to like move countries or make a shift, like an indefinite shift, so to speak, how would you recommend I go about budgeting for something like that? Good question. Again, it really depends on the lifestyle that you want to lead, right? So if you're somebody that 
you know, takes health and fitness very seriously, you're going to have to budget for a gym membership or something or some outdoor, you know, activity, which will require whatever it is. Um, uh, same, same thing for food. You know, if you want to go out uh, to eat, if you love and, and you enjoy restaurants and bars, then you're going to have to budget for that. But and unfortunately, yes, when you're especially early in your career and you're working you're not making a lot of money. Um, yeah, it's, that's just the reality of it. So learn to cook, um, you know, not eat out as much, especially in 2012 in Paris. Yeah, that that was where, you know, it was just kind of basic ingredients. But the thing is, in these places, especially in Europe, in France and in Spain, um, it is not so expensive to find simple ingredients that will you know make your make you happy and make your belly happy right so like a, a cheese that you can buy here at the saint lawrence market you know for twenty dollars is like two euros in spain or france right so same with like you know a very nice baguette um you can get like a very good quality wine for five euros the things that are expensive here are very inexpensive there, especially when it comes to food. Yeah, it's all very possible. I mean, when it gets more tricky and complicated is when you're budgeting for a trip, because that's when you're kind of not in control. That's when, you know, costs can just add up. Um, like, let's say you miss an, your flight, you have to all, all of a sudden fork out however much it is, you know, if you missed a flight. But you just plan for those things. Um, you plan for those things, and then you also, there are many different alternatives. You don't need to take an expensive train. Um, you know, you can take blah blah car, for example, which is really popular in in both France and Spain, and and that's a carpooling service that I use quite a bit. Um, yeah, it was kind of scary at first, you know, being a girl and just hopping on a you know blah blah car, especially like if it's just like a guy driving, and you're like, okay. <laughs> it's gonna be good it's gonna be okay you know I, I always took precautions I took pictures of the license plate and I sent them to my brother or my mom you know like just to feel safer and they always ended up being the most pleasant trips like I remember I wanted to go visit those same friends that I talked about earlier in Barcelona and I was in Madrid um, and the flights and the trains were just just too expensive and the trip from Madrid to Barcelona was only about three to four hours uh, by car, which, you know, to us here in Canada, what's three to four hours? Like, what is that? Nothing, right? So over there, people are like, oh, these distances, like a four-hour bus ride, are you crazy? I'm like, this, that's nothing. Like, I can sit on a, in a car for that long, for sure. And anyway, I ended up having the most pleasant conversation with this kind of hippie kite surfer guy and his dog, you know, in the front seat for four hours. He was French, actually. And we just talked about life in Madrid. So it's all very possible, um, you know, to budget and, and be on, in a budget. You know, God knows I, I, I've definitely been on those. And it's also about knowing like, okay, when to treat yourself and when you just need to hold back a little bit. Yeah. Um, how do you meet new people when you go to a new place? And this is like, aside from your coworkers who you will obviously be meeting, except now if you have a, if now because of COVID that you don't actually meet, but like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, so like, yeah. aside from the coworkers and the people that you'll be seeing because of your career, or your profession, how do you meet people otherwise? Like, how do you make or form connections with people when you are in a foreign country? 
Yeah, I mean, in Paris, a lot of those friends initially were, yeah, those co-workers, but also because I went through Isaac, you know, I met a lot of Isaac people and same with um, Madrid. I met a lot of people from the beta program teaching, but aside from that, there are, you know, tons of websites and meetup groups that you can join. Um, for example, in, in Spain, I was a really big fan of meetup.com. So, you know, I would join like a yoga meetup, um, art meetup, flamenco meetup, whatever it was, and meet lots of interesting people there. Also did like, um, you know, Nike and Adidas, they hold these runs, you know, you can meet a lot of people just like doing outdoorsy things and, or even hiking. Um, even Facebook groups are huge. I follow, I'm part of one called Girl Gone International on Facebook. Ooh. Have you heard of that one? No, but I'm, I'm also part of like some type of like girl travel group, but that one yeah. sounds like I should join it. Yeah. Though Facebook groups are amazing now, you know, people that are just united over a common interest or a place. Um, I find that like, especially on Facebook, like a girl would just be like, Hey, I'm new to Madrid. Anybody want to come grab a coffee with me? Like at this time, this day, I'm going to be in this area. And people actually commented and would join. Right. So the, um, Facebook is a great resource. Um, there are also groups like Internations, which is kind of more geared at young professionals, but they host events at like the most incredible venues in the city. They have one in Toronto. They have one. It's everywhere. Internations. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. Yeah. Internations is another good one. Um, sometimes language exchange. <laughs> I laugh because sometimes language exchange, especially kind of like the men have different intentions there and it's not just about oh, <laughs> exchanging, but you got to be careful with those um, language exchanges. But yeah, all in all, I'd say, especially if you're a young expat or not even young, any age, if you're an expat, there's going to be a community for you. Now, what's a little bit more difficult is um, befriending the locals. It depends where you're living and like how receptive uh, locals are, you know, to you and, and different people. But yeah, it's just, just a personality thing. It depends. And, and usually, you know, for local friends, you, you know, you meet them at work. They're your colleagues. And, and, and I like to have local friends, of course, because that's the most beautiful thing, right? You're living in a, in a different country. You, you want to meet the people and you know that's important not just you know show up and expect all your friends to speak english and be expats like you i think there's a lot of growth that comes in like learning the local language befriending local people learning local recipes traditional recipes and uh, living a different way you also went to like seneca and you know where you have a degree in like corporate communications and pr so what would you say have been the challenges with regards to finding a role or job in a foreign or new country in your in this area so this area of interest in communications in communications so yeah communications is pretty broad and it really depends on what you your focus area is in um i would say that the easiest way to kind of get a job is is beforehand you know either going through a program like isaac if you're still a student or if you work for a, an international company, trying to get a transfer um, within your company to their to a local office, because when you show up and you're trying to find a job and you don't have your network, you don't have your contacts, 
it is difficult. It's definitely difficult. And that's when you have to be like, all right, let me go to these internation meetups. Let me go to these expat meetup groups and just network the heck out of yourself, you know. So Paris for me wasn't so challenging because I went through an organization. Um, the second year after my teaching English, I thought, okay, it's time to get back and back at it. I want a career. I want to focus on my career. Um, I want to get a comms job. And and it, and it was pretty challenging. It was all, especially in Spain, um, most places were word of mouth. Um, so you would get an interview if you knew somebody that worked at this place, they would kind of hook you up with it. And that was the norm. It was very, very difficult to get a job interview just from a job posting on a website. Um, so yeah, in Spain, it was a lot of that kind of networking. And that's how I ended up getting my job at Vice Media Virtue the creative agency of Vice Media was through a friend. But then once I got it, you know, it was amazing. It was great to work in an office full of Spanish people and and work in Spanish and, and um, yeah, an incredible experience, but definitely uh, challenging in the area of communications. I think that there are a lot of people pursuing a career in communications right now too. So there's a lot of competition and even local competition. One, say, one thing I will say though, is that being a native English speaker is an asset. So sometimes you are up against a smaller talent pool because you're a native English speaker. So that's, that's always a plus. And if you're a native English speaker that can speak the local language, even better. So you were, you were quite the asset. You spoke Spanish and spoke English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My languages have helped. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit more now. Like, we're going to shift focus to more of, like, the communications aspect of, like, your career. So I know that you have, like, an affinity for creating content that's, like, both visually appealing and simple. Yeah. So how important is, like, how would you describe, like, the important importance of like content communication in communication in like the field of communications and PR. Yeah, great question. I see you've been looking at my LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so before moving to Spain, I actually launched. I had a small kind of side business here with local Toronto businesses called Content for Social, um, and yeah, I was creating content for small businesses um, and I was really adamant about getting people to kind of steer away from using stock imagery so it's just it was just like a pet peeve of mine you know I really feel like to be authentic and genuine online you know social media it's just so important and getting your message through through like through content of your own and not you know pictures that are very very obviously stock um, images is just something that mm, people are definitely now starting to do and creating their own content but uh, not many not many people do you know it because maybe because of also the price it's definitely an investment to get a photographer to come in and create videos um, and and take pictures um, but I just feel that it's so important, you know, to kind of uh, take ownership of your brand and put out content that really reflects who you are, you know, what, whatever your brand is, whatever your product is, or even service, you know, 
take pictures of the actual employees that you work with, you know, for your website rather than just, you know, a stock image of like four random people. So that's kind of what I mean by, you know, the visual aspect of it. And I also think that this world is just so visual now. And, you know, we, we see this with videos and, you know, we're all just kind of scrolling through and the things that catch our attention are the more unique things, the more, you know, the things that aren't stock, right? So. No, yeah. I agree with you there. You don't want something, you want, you want that customized picture as opposed to like the super basic thing that you know that you've seen a million times exactly could you tell me about a time when you were creating content or just like a campaign that you did that didn't perform as well as you'd expected so like how do you go about that situation like what how do you troubleshoot something like that yeah a great question um i'll give you an example of I was working on a campaign, a social media campaign that we had invested a lot of ad spend on, um, and this was an international campaign. We were using um, lots of images um, of different people, different ethnicities and races. races. Um, and it's somehow the campaign, because of what was going on in the world, uh, took a turn and it became comment after comment, people being extremely racist and inappropriate um you know in instagram and facebook and twitter less so but more so just very inappropriate um hate uh hate speech on there and 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 yeah that that campaign really took a turn and we had to kind of sit down and say all right like this is unacceptable you know deleted those comments uh, as quickly as possible uh, and then also, you know, we had to keep a closer eye, you know, because we didn't want to have a comment and then have that be up for the whole day. So monitoring increased and, you know, checking every every half hour. Or so to see how a post was doing, um, you know, became the norm because we just, we didn't want to have that kind of talk on there, right? Okay. No, I, I agree with what you're saying with the, you don't want that negative energy. Yeah. <laughs> It just, it was such a great program and there were so many amazing things happening. And that was just like, you know, there are trolls everywhere, especially on social media. And some people just, they just want to be trolls and they just want attention. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, um, <laughs> that that's something that you have to deal with when you open yourself up in social media. There are going to be haters. Um, what personality characteristics would you say are important to be successful in a comms-related field? Yeah, so there are many different types of people in comms, um, and it really depends what kind of comms you do. Um, but I would say, I think the thing that matters the most is that you are an open person. And what I mean by that is you're open to, you know, working with other people, you're friendly and receptive to what other people have to say. Um, and that also, I think another thing that's really important is to be detail oriented. <laughs> you know, that one's really practical, but it's true that in comms, you know, that's something that's very, very valued. So if you're somebody that, you know, pays close attention to detail, you know, 
crossing your T's and dotting your I's is very important because the last thing you want to see in a corporate communication or even on social media, you know, you see it a lot are like spelling mistakes and things like that. So that's really important to succeed in the field for sure. And if you're not detail oriented, then you become that person, right? You triple check, double check, triple check. And, and that's something you can always work on. Okay. And this is my final question before we head into our lightning round. Do you have any mottos, like life philosophies that have helped you make tough decisions? And this can be whichever one you wanted to, like in regards to like your career and communications or like your, your travel expedition. So like, Oh man, mottos. Trusting your gut is a really important one for me. I take I take that gut feeling very very seriously and I feel like it's always guided me um in my decisions, you know, and and I also think that that gut feeling is also kind of somewhat spiritual for me, so I kind of see it as like it's God kind of showing me and helping me make the make a decision because I've definitely made some you know decisions that were really really difficult to make but I think trusting yourself and going for it has definitely guided me um and also fake it till you make it I think is another one (laughs) like if you're not an expert in something and if you you know you don't feel comfortable and you're nervous and you're scared about something just do it anyway and you learn along the way. And if you have that kind of personality, I think you, you will make it, you know, and let's say you don't, and it's a total failure, then you tried, you tried and you did it anyway. And, and uh, you learned from it. So yeah, I guess those are kind of like things that have guided me. <laughs> Solid advice. And now we're going to shift gears on to <laughs> the questions. We're going to play a little, a little game. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm very ready. I'm excited. (laughs) It's time for the lightning round. So are you a morning person or a night owl? Oh, God. I'm definitely a morning person. What's your favorite (laughs) social media platform? Instagram and Pinterest, if I can say. Those two are my favorite. I love them equally. Pinterest isn't necessarily a social media um, platform, but I've I've been on Pinterest since day one. And it's not just like for buying stuff. It's like home, uh, renos, even goal setting. I have like a vision board on there. And it's funny because every time I pin something in my vision board, it comes true. <laughs> oh my God, Maya, you should pin my goals on your vision board. <laughs> it's true one way or another and sometimes it's uncanny like even I pinned this like beautiful bohemian kind of like decor with like these Moroccan poofs and a carpet and I I go back to my Pinterest board like months later and I'm in my sitting in my living room and I have the exact same poofs and like the decor the same thing going on I'm like oh my gosh Oh my like, god! The power, the power of Pinterest and knowing what you want. <laughs> wow. Okay, I need to do the same thing, <clears throat> and I need to pin my goals onto your vision board. So that <laughs> I'll make you a contributor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> For profit or nonprofit? Hmm, I wish I could work in nonprofit, but I'm at a point in my life where I, I, I need to work for profit. But I think eventually I will go back to working uh, for a nonprofit and a cause that I really care about. 
Would you buy a business or start a business? Start a business for sure. City or countryside? City living, countryside, uh, just weekend getaways, like cottage. I love like Canada's cottage country. So much fun. Country that you've been to with the best coffee or tea? Oh, Italy. Nothing compares to Italian coffee. When abroad, what home comfort do you miss the most? Oh my God. It's so funny, but I was just talking to my friend about this. Shoppers Drug Mart. (laughs) There's nothing like it. It's just you walk into a shoppers and you have everything. It's like a pharmacy, makeup, books, a bookstore, everything all in one. Um, And that's kind of the thing I I miss the most when when I'm abroad. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Probably, again, trust that gut feeling. Window seat or aisle seat? Oh, man. I have a really funny story about this. (laughs) So when I was coming back from Madagascar (laughs) to Paris, I had, like, terrible food poisoning up until, like, the end of Madagascar. It was just week after week. I would... I just didn't get used to the food. Um, And I really wanted an aisle seat. I usually always want a window seat. I book the window seat because I love seeing the view and taking videos and looking out and contemplating about my life. It's all very romantic. (laughs) (laughs) The main character mood. Yeah, exactly. But this time I just needed access to the bathroom. Like if I needed, I was sitting next to like this German couple and I explained to them situation. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be possibly like getting up to go to the washroom. So can I have the aisle seat? Um, and they said no. <laughs> and I was like, well, fine. Well, I'm just going to be like bothering you, you know, <laughs> this whole trip. Anyway, I was fine. It was just a precaution. I ended up passing out on the flight and waking up in Paris and going to like have McDonald's <laughs> for the first time in three months. Like my roommate was waiting for me, My old roommate was waiting for me with McDonald's, which was kind of like oh. yeah, a real comfort after three months. Oh my gosh. You passed out on the flight? I completely passed out. Oh, I've had experiences on flights. I have fainted on an airplane before, walking to the bathroom. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, this was recent too. This was uh, from Geneva to Madrid. I was just like feeling super dizzy and I was like, okay, I need to go to the washroom. Just like, just put some water on my face. And I didn't make it. So next thing I know, I'm like, like just passed out uh, you know the floor there in the aisle and people are like oh everybody's gasping and it's like oh a movie gosh. it was like ah oh, is she okay and I was like oh my god this is so embarrassing I like got up and yeah um the flight attendants were like oh my gosh come with us sit here and they like sat me they sat me at the front and gave me like orange juice <laughs> it was so embarrassing but I was fine and I know it was my fault I actually didn't sleep the night before. I went straight from, I was with some friends in outside in Lausanne in Switzerland. And then I had to take a train from Lausanne to Geneva and then um, airplane from Geneva to, to Madrid. And my flight was at seven in the morning and I was just out partying with my friends. <laughs> and then I took the train and I didn't sleep. So it was just my fault. I was like dehydrated and priorities <laughs> <laughs> um country with the best street food that you've ever had say probably spain probably the north of spain like um okay. san sebastian area yeah so good okay. such great food. pinchos yeah written communication or verbal communication at work or in my personal life 
whatever you want to, whatever context you want to add to that. Oh, God. Um, I guess verbal. Yeah, there's nothing like a good conversation. Emojis or GIFs? <sighs> good one. Well, like before I would have said emojis, but with all these amazing and funny GIFs, definitely GIFs now. Like my <laughs> GIF keyboard yeah gifts are hilarious these days i have groups where like all we do is just send each other gifts all day it's so funny and my final question if you could describe yourself as a flavor what would it be my favorite ice cream flavor is pistachio so maybe pistachio we'll we'll go with that then let's go with Pistachio. pistachio yeah okay all right and now so that brings us to the end of this episode and to send you all off with a quote i would love for maya our special guest to do the honors of reading it out leap and the net will appear. And this one really inspired me, you know, when I was like getting ready to make that, you know, decision to move to Spain at 29. I was hesitant, of course, you know, I'm in my late 20s. And I'm like, Oh, man, like, is this the right decision for my career? I was very, very unsure. And then I read this quote, quote, leap and the net will appear. And fortunately, the net did appear. And that was in the form of people, you know, if it if it wasn't for some of the amazing people that I met in Spain, I would have been back after a month or two. <laughs> so yeah, the net did appear and, and it always kind of does. You know, it always works out. You just have to believe in yourself. If our listeners are interested in learning like even more about you, is there a way that they could follow you or reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty big on Instagram. So it's at Maya. M-A-Y-A dot Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R, at Maya dot Delmar. <laughs> and you can follow Maya for all her worldly expeditions. Yeah, yeah, definitely give me a follow. I do have a private account right now, but I'm thinking of making it public. Either way, um, send me a, a friend request and I'll, I'll, um, I'll add you. lovely thank you again Maya for joining me this was a lot of fun and I hope to hear or since I'm I am following you I hope to see more adventures and live vicariously through you in the Um, as I have been doing oh thank you so much Shuba Um, I'm so happy to that you you know chose me to be a part of this I'm I'm, yeah I'm happy to share and yeah That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you folks enjoyed that. Join me next Sunday for another episode on Keep It Spicy. If you want to stay in the loop, follow me on Instagram at underscore Keep It Spicy and on Twitter at Keep It Spicy Pod for more related content and some pick-me-ups in the middle of your week. Like, comment, and share the content and podcast with friends and family. On that note, remember folks, Keep It Spicy, yours truly, XX.